You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. I am Father Kenneth Baker, the editor of the Homiletic and Pastor Review. For our third talk on the Holy Trinity, I want to concentrate on the fatherhood of God, God the Father. Back at the end of the 20th century, you may recall that the Holy Father designated the last three years as years dedicated to the Son and to the Holy Spirit and to the Father. So we're going to speak about, in this talk, the fatherhood of God, who is the origin of the Trinity, the origin without an origin, or principle, as they say, principle without a principle. He's the ungenerated person in the Trinity, the source of all being and existence. Now, God's revelation to man about himself and his own inner life has proceeded in stages. Gradually in the Old Testament, God revealed a little bit about himself to the chosen people, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, wandering out in the desert, Moses, the prophets, David, and so forth. Now, there's a steady progression, therefore, of the self-manifestation of God to man through the Bible, beginning from the book of Genesis all the way through the 46 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament until you get to the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. And you have a full revelation of the inner nature of God by Jesus, who is the only begotten Son of the Father in the New Testament. That's very important. He's the only begotten Son of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but the Holy Spirit is not a Son of the Father. The Holy Spirit's not a grandson of the Father. There's only one Son, and that's Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Now, there are some hints, as we said, about the inner Trinitarian life of God in the Old Testament. For example, there's the passage of Genesis 1.26, which we mentioned before, where God says, let us make man in our own image and likeness. Now, this is most likely the magisterial we, such as the Pope uses in some of his talks, but still many of the fathers of the church considered it as a hint, just a hint, a suggestion that there's more than one person in God. Now, in the Old Testament, you have wisdom books, especially Proverbs, the Book of Wisdom, the Book of Sirach. And in Proverbs 8 and Wisdom 7 and 8, divine wisdom is personified. It's made into a person to speak and to do various things. This wisdom has proceeded from God according to those books, from all eternity, and cooperates in the creation of the world. And in the light of the full revelation of the New Testament, one may well see in these passages a pointer to the divine personality of the Word of God, who is God's image or wisdom. And that Word, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word or the image of the Father. The Old Testament frequently mentions what's called the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Now what is meant in those passages 
is not a divine person, not what we mean by the Holy Spirit, but a power proceeding from God which gives life, bestows strength, and illuminates the mind. In the light of the New Testament, many of these passages, like Psalm 104, verse 30, Isaiah 11, verse 2, and the Book of Wisdom, first chapter, verse 7, were referred by the liturgy and the fathers of the church to the person of the Holy Spirit. For example, in Psalm 104, verse 30, When thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. That's interpreted by the fathers as a suggestion of the Trinity. Or Isaiah 11, 2, The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Those are also indications of the Lord. And in Wisdom 1.7 we read, Because the Spirit of the Lord has filled the world, and that which holds all things together knows what is said. So they primarily refer to the power of God, but the fathers of the church saw them as referring in some way to the Trinity. Now in human language, no matter what language you speak, whether English or German or Spanish or French or Italian or Latin or Greek, whatever it might be, in human language, the word Father designates a relationship that exists between a man and his offspring and his children, sons and daughters. A father is one who has begotten a child. He is an originator, a transmitter, or a source of life. The term can be used in its proper sense of the relationship of father to son, but it can also be used in what's called an improper sense, a derived or metaphorical sense of someone who causes or produces something else. So we might say that an inventor, for example, is the father of his invention. It's not literally father, like generating a son or a daughter, but he's the origin of it. So we use that in a metaphorical sense, that he's the father of his invention, of his creation. Now the Old Testament often speaks of the fatherhood of God in the metaphorical sense. For example, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, quote, Is this the return you make to Yahweh, O foolish, unwise people? Is not this your father who gave you being, who made you, by whom you subsist? So here, God is the father of all created things, especially of man, by reason of his creation, preservation and being, and his divine providence guiding them. Through our redemption and elevation to the state of grace, God is our father in the spiritual and supernatural order. So now we come to a different sense in which God is our father. Thus Jesus says, Your light must shine in the sight of men, so that seeing your good works, they may give the praise to your father in heaven. In Matthew 5, 16, and again he says, You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there, in Matthew 5.48, Jesus urges all of us to strive for perfection like the perfection of our heavenly Father. So God is our Father, yes indeed, but not in the proper sense of generating us so that we are of the same nature as He is. In that sense, God has only one Son, 
that is, the eternally only begotten Son, who is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So as we know in the treatment of grace, St. Peter says in his second letter that we are partakers or sharers in the divine nature through baptism and faith, and we become adopted children of God and heirs of heaven. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. We are adopted children of God, not natural sons of God. Only Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, is the begotten Son of the Father. He's the only begotten, St. John says in 1.14 and 1.18. So there's only one, namely the Word, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Now the New Testament revelation teaches us that there is in God a fatherhood in the proper sense, which belongs to the first person only. That's one of the ways we designate the first person in God, his Father, because he generated the Son. Jesus' relation to the Father is unique and exclusive. Nobody else is related to the Father the same way Jesus is. And when Jesus speaks to the Father in heaven, he says either my Father or your Father when he's talking to his disciples. But he never says, he never says, our Father. He does not link himself to the Father in the same way that he links his disciples. The reason is that his relationship to the Father is very different from that of the disciples and of us. We are his adopted children. We're not the natural sons of God. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray the Our Father, as we find in the sixth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, he says they should address God as our Father, but he doesn't include himself in that. He tells them to talk to God, saying, Our Father. But this is not Jesus' prayer for himself. When he prays, he says simply, Father or my Father, not our Father. Now, other statements of Jesus, which assert his identity with the Father, prove also that his sonship and the fatherhood of God are to be understood in the proper sense of an originator or principle. This identity is brought out in terms of knowledge in the important passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. So if you have your Bible, you might take it out and take a look at that. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, quote, Everything has been entrusted to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, just as no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So only the Son knows the Father intimately, and those to whom he chooses to reveal him. He reveals him to us, to those who believe in him. The same idea is expressed even more clearly in John chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And in John 5, 26, Jesus says, For the Father, who is the source of life, has made the Son also the source of life. So Jesus is identified with the Father in substance. They're two persons, but they both have the same substance. I and the Father are one. St. John, in his Gospel, calls Jesus the only begotten Son of God, in the first chapter, verse 14, he says, And we saw his glory, the glory, as it were, of the only begotten of the Father. The same idea is repeated in verse 18. 
that he's the only begotten Son of the Father. So that means it follows immediately, of course, the Holy Spirit is not begotten by the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds in a different way, as we shall see. St. Paul says that God did not spare his own Son. That's in Romans 8.32. God did not spare his own Son. So there you have the relationship between Son and God the Father. As I said in, I believe, the previous lecture, almost 99% of the times in the New Testament, the word God, hotheos, refers to the Father. A few times Jesus is called God, and a few times the Holy Spirit. But 99% of the times, hotheos, the word God, refers to the Father. So St. Paul says, God, meaning the Father, did not spare his own son. And Jesus' enemies clearly understood that he claimed equality with God because God is his Father. He said, God is my Father. And for this reason, then, they plotted to put him to death. They said he's putting himself on the same level as God. St. John says that the Jews were even more intent on killing him because not content with breaking the Sabbath, he spoke of God as his own father and so made himself God's equal. Now, since Jesus is then the son of the father, in fact, the only begotten son of the father, he has the same divine nature that the Father has. A father communicates life to his son. Likewise, in generation in God, God the Father communicates the identical same substance to the Son. We're talking about something here that is eternal. It's always been this way. There wasn't any time when God the Father was not generating the Son. The generation of the Son is eternal. So he has the same nature that the Father has. So the Son is equal to the Father in all things except in the very special characteristic of being Father. That notion of being unbegotten, ungenerated, that belongs only to God the Father. So the Father and the Son then have the same nature. They are completely equal to one another Jesus, then, is the Word of God, the second person. He is a distinct person, and he's a divine person. He is God Almighty. Now, these notions were codified for us by some of the fathers of the church and some of the early councils of the church. So I already quoted to you the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed from the Council of Constantinople I and 381. Now, there is a creed called the Athanasian Creed, which comes probably from the 5th, 6th century, which goes through in very clear way each of these points that I've made here with regard to God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is called the Athanasian Creed. For generations, it's been called the Athanasian Creed, but scholars have established in the last 100 years or so that most likely it was not composed by St. Athanasius. It seems to come from the 5th or 6th century. St. Athanasius lived in the 4th century, was the great defender of the consubstantiality of the Son with the Father. But however that may be, this Athanasian creed has great authority in Catholic theology because of the clearness with which it presents the relationship between Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Whoever wishes to be saved must, above all, keep the Catholic faith. For unless a person keeps this faith whole and entire, he will undoubtedly be lost forever. That's the introduction. Now, this is what the Catholic faith teaches. Here is what the Catholic Church holds about the nature of God. But we're going to try and present this in smaller parts in this whole course on the Holy Trinity. We worship one God in the Trinity and the Trinity in unity. We distinguish among the persons, but we do not divide the substance. We distinguish Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but they're not divided from the substance. They are all identified with the same divine substance. Then he goes on to explain what is meant. For the Father is a distinct person, the Son is a distinct person, and the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. All right, so we have three distinct persons. Still, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have one divinity, equal glory, and co-eternal majesty. So there's only one substance. There's only one God. What the Father is, the Son is, and the Holy Spirit is. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, and the Holy Spirit is uncreated. That's against Arius and the Macedonians and all the various heretics of the 3rd and 4th century. The Father has immensity, the Son has immensity, and the Holy Spirit has immensity. Immensity here in theological language means that God is everywhere. Wherever there is being, God is there sustaining it in existence. That's what the word immensity means in this context. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, and the Holy Spirit is eternal. So there never was a time when the Son did not exist or the Holy Spirit did not exist. They have proceeded from the Father from all eternity. Nevertheless, he says, there are not three eternal beings, but one eternal being. Thus there are not three uncreated beings, nor three beings having immensity, but one uncreated being and one being that has immensity. The stress here is three distinct persons, one God, one substance, one nature, one activity. And he goes on. Likewise, the Father is omnipotent, the Son is omnipotent, and the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. Okay, that means having all power, right? Omnipotent. Yet they're not three omnipotent beings, but only one omnipotent being. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But they're not three gods, but one God. The Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. They're not three lords, but one Lord. So we can refer to the Father as Lord, to Jesus as Lord, to the Holy Spirit as Lord. But they're not three lords, only one Lord, because there's only one God. For according to Christian truth, we must profess that each of the persons individually is God. And according to the Christian religion, we are forbidden to say that there are three gods or three lords. The Father is not made by anyone, nor created by anyone, nor generated by anyone. If he were, there'd be something prior to the Father. The Son, however, is not made or created, but is generated by the Father alone. We're going to, in a future talk, explain what that means. The generation of the Son from the Father. And the Holy Spirit is not made, nor created, nor generated, but he proceeds from the Father and the Son. So, 
The Son is generated from the Father as the only begotten Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son, but He's not generated. There is then one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. In this Trinity, there is nothing that precedes, nothing subsequent to anything else. There is nothing greater, nothing lesser than anything else. But the entire three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with one another, so that, as we have said, comes back to that again, we worship complete unity in the Trinity and Trinity in unity. This, then, is what he who wishes to be saved must believe about the Trinity. Now that is as concise and as accurate a description of what the Christian understanding is of the Holy Trinity that you can find anywhere. Many of those same ideas are repeated in the creed that we say at Mass. Not exactly the same way, but the creed at Mass is related to this, and many of these things in this Athanasian creed were based upon the creed of Nicaea and of Constantinople. So then, that's kind of the basic presentation of the Church's teaching about the fatherhood of God, that he is the source of all fatherhood. He's the one who generates the Son. He's spoken of as ungenerated and unbegotten, whereas the Son is spoken of as the only begotten Son of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is said to proceed from the Father or from the Father and the Son. Some of these ideas are expressed in the New Testament. Some of the texts, for example, as I mentioned in the last talk, you get this idea in the baptism formula. The, the importance of the baptism formula is that when you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that these three names refer to three distinct persons who are co-equal as the Athanasian Creed says, who are co-eternal. The Father doesn't have any more eternity than the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Father has generated the Son from all eternity. He's the image of the Father. As someone has said, one of modern philosophers, that he's the Word of God is like God thinking himself. And God has always thought himself. And the image of God, that's the second person of the Blessed Trinity. We call him the Word because when you have an idea of something, that's called the word. A visible word that we speak is something sensible that stands for a word that a spiritual being has in his mind. That is, it stands for some idea. So we might say that the Son, then, is the idea of the Father, who totally contains everything that the Father has, except, as they say, to be Father. The fatherhood belongs only to the first person. And then... The second person is the image or the word or the wisdom of God. The third person, the Holy Spirit, we say he proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit in Catholic teaching is related to the will of God, the love of God. I think it's St. Augustine refers to the Holy Spirit as the kiss between the Father and the Son. That's a beautiful expression, it seems to me, that the Son is related to the thinking of the Father. The Holy Spirit is related to the love of the Father. He's the result, the term of the love of the Father. As we read in St. John's Gospel, third chapter, 16th verse, 
that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that those who believe in him might not perish, but might have everlasting life. The reason why he sent his Son into the world is because of the love that he has for us. So these three persons then occur together in this relationship in about 40 places in the might have everlasting life. The reason why he sent his son into the world is because of the love that he has for us. So these three persons then occur together in this relationship in about 40 places in the New Testament, the key texts being the baptismal formula, and that's at the end of Matthew 28, 19, and also that beautiful text that I quoted in the previous talk that the priest used at the beginning of Mass, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And then another very clear one are the accounts in the Synoptic Gospels of the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan, where you have all three persons present, Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending upon him, and the voice of the Father, unseen, invisible, coming from the clouds like thunder, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So that's our presentation of what the scriptures say and what the church says about the fatherhood of God. So in our next talk, we'll move on then to explain more in detail who the Son and the Holy Spirit are as distinct divine persons who are what are said to be consubstantial with the Father, or as we say in our creed nowadays, one in being with the Father. So we'll deal with that in the next segment. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.